Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to the newest edition of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with a former Rhode Islander, Providence, Rhode Islander, Wiley Dufresne. Super psyched to welcome him onto the show. We are going to go through a whole slew of fun things, what he's up to now, and how he got to where he is now. So uh, with no further ado, Wiley, welcome. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Um, apologies for the jackhammering that just started. I hope that's not cramping anyone's style. <laughs> I can't hear anything, so I think it's just you. Lucky you. Good. Good. <laughs> so, <clears throat> all right. Growing up, Providence, Rhode Island, right? You, yeah. You know, um, coffee milk, right? Who could not do coffee? Forever. Forever. I mean, you and I have met at the farmer's market in New York, and is it Stony Brook Farms? Am I correct? Ronnie Brook. Ronnie Brook. Ronnie Brook, Ronnie Brook Farms. Ironically, you and I would end up at the same place by chance at the same time with a coffee milk, which made my day because I can't get it in California. Yeah, I mean, Ronnie Brook, Ronnie Brook's is solid coffee milk for sure. You know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm an autocrat guy. Autocrat syrup for me, you know. Oh, yeah, always. Um, always. You know, there's, there's three three syrups but you know i recently discovered if you look closely at the label i think they all lead you to cranston rhode island so it could be or lincoln no lincoln rhode island i think so it could be that there's one giant you know cabal that's making all the coffee syrup but but there are three different ones there's like autocrat eclipse and one other i can't remember the last one yeah it's not you bet is it is it I can't remember. Definitely Eclipse for sure. But, I mean, but they all, I think they're all made in the same place. But I, I mean, it's still autocrat for me, no matter what. It's always. And I think, isn't that funny that like, as a child, we had the option of having reduced coffee with sugar added to your milk at school. So let's, let's give tons of kids caffeine and sugar at school. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> No, I would, I've never been able to prove this, but I, but I have, have this very strong memory of autocrat, small cartons of autocrat coffee milk. But if you Google it, if you like Google image it, there's nothing. So, and I, and nobody ever else remembers this. So I'm like, did I imagine that there was, was autocrat in cartons as a kid? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I was drinking like hood ones at school and I was thinking it was autocrat, but I have this very, very clear memory that no one else can confirm and I can find no proof of it. So maybe it was just a dream I had. You know, it wouldn't surprise me, but don't forget, there was no instant camera iPhone to document all that stuff, even if it did exist. And a lot of that stuff's all gone. I mean, I laugh about it because when we were kids, it was like the pink carton, if you had the loaf, it was a light green, brown, dark brown for chocolate, red for regular yeah. milk. And then yeah. there was always the poor kid who got like the baby blue one, which was like the, the blue one, yeah. And then you're like, creepy. oh, that's the kid that's, the... <laughs> that's when we were all mean. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'm... but I mean, I love, I love me some coffee milk. Yes, please. That and some Dells and I'm, and I'm a happy camper. 100%. That's good stuff also. So 
how uh, how did you start in this game right like you guys you grew up and then you're up on you know you got Thayer street up there right and your dad's got a killer sandwich shop which i used to go to all the time right yeah i mean my first job was at the olympia tea room in watch hill rhode island so 11 years old peeling potatoes that's how i got started um, my dad was in charge of the food service there and, uh, my parents were divorced, still are divorced. Um, and I would spend summers with dad. Um, and that meant, you know, day, my dad was in the food business. And so he, you know, I started, he gave me a job at 11. Like I was literally peeling potatoes for like $5 a bucket or something crazy, crazy like that. And that was my first job. It's amazing that, I mean, Rhode Island is such a unique place because we have such a high concentration of business during the summer and then it just kind of slows down. And, and unlike New York and other cities, you know, the tourism vanishes in the, in the, in the winter. And it's such a fun place to be and to grow up where you, because we have, you know, the fishing community surrounds us. There's so much farming. Um, but did, did you end up deciding to go to culinary school or was it just like, just work all the way through the program? Well, I, I mean, I, I moved to New York when I was seven. So I was, I mean, I, I, I have some memories of, of Rhode Island, but my, most of my food memories are, like I said, I, I was working in Watch Hill that summer. And then I had other summers in Cape Cod working um, in Hyannis. Summer jobs were always in restaurants, food service of some sort. And then the summer before my senior year of college, um, I got a job working at Al Forno. Wow. So, and we're talking iconic Alforno, right? Like they, they used to come and buy produce from Walker's stand and the fishing captain that I worked for the wheelers, we used to head on the way out to the boat in little Compton. We used to come back at Walker's and pick up produce to then cook after working on the boat all day. Yeah. So George and Joanne met working for my dad. No way. My dad had, um, a couple he had a sandwich shop um and he but he uh, but he also had an actual restaurant called joe's and uh george was the chef de cuisine and uh my dad sent joanne to pastry school um paid for her to go to pastry school then she became the pastry chef they met working for my dad um and then they went on obviously to do many you know they do to do a lot of stuff and do quite well so they did me a solid that, you know, my dad called them and said, hey, you know, my son would like a, a real job. He started working in lobster shacks in Hyannis. So I spent a summer working at, uh, at Al Forno, working the, the grilled pizza station at Al Forno, which is, of course, their most famous, you know, they're famous for their grilled pizzas. And that was the first time I had a real, I had done, I mean, I've been working in kitchens for years, but that was the first time where it hit me the same way. I mean, it's also a time in your life you're supposed to start, you're about to have your senior year of college, you're supposed to start thinking about what you're going to do. I was a philosophy major. I wasn't going to become a philosophy teacher. That was never my goal. Um, so it was time to think about what is it that you're going to do. And, and that summer, that working in that kitchen was the first time I ever had an experience doing anything that moved me the way sports did, that playing sports. There was everything in a kitchen there and a, a fine, formal, fancy, upscale brigade that that I found playing team sports. And I was like, I've never been this excited. I've never felt the same way. You know, you've got sous chefs and captains. You've got 
prep in the morning, you got practice, you know, in the, during the day, you've got service at night, you've got the big game, you've got role players, you've got everything about it. You know, it's kitchens are like sports. They're instantly redemptive. You know, you missed the layup, you overcooked that piece of fish. Well, you're going to have to cook 500 more. So let's get over it and keep going. You know what I mean? You struck out, you missed a layup, whatever. We got to keep, we're going to keep this up. And, you know, my hands hurt, my back hurt. And I loved every minute of it. And, and I loved it. And I was like, this, I think this is what I want to do. So I graduated from, you know, I went to college, finished college. Although they offered me a job to stay, but I thought that was, and I, which I wanted to do, but I was like, I, if I don't finish college, my parents are going to hate me. You know, they're going <laughs> to So I went and I finished college. And then um, my mom being an, an amazing human, I mean, she's always been an amazing being, but she said, look, let me help you work out going to culinary school. And so, cause I, my plan was just go back to kitchens cause I didn't have the money to go to culinary school. But my mom um, put me through culinary school which was an amazing thing. So I stayed here, um, went to the French Culinary Institute in New York City. During the day, I was working at the Gotham Bar and Grill for Alfred at night. School would get out. I would run to run to the kitchen, run to the restaurant. And then that was it, you know, and, and here we are. I mean, you're talking, you're, I mean, first two jobs, like real restaurant jobs, right? Not that let's, let me, let me rephrase that. First two refined restaurant jobs, right? So then you know, not fast casual. Trust me, I love me a clam shack. Oh my God, the lobster shack. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> clam bellies. Come on, we're from Rhode Island. Bellies. From Rhode Island, Stu Pack and I joke around and say we're going to retire and have two two chefs, one fryer. That's going to be our, <laughs> our, our clam shack and somewhere in Cape Cod. That's the name of the place right there. Two chefs, one fryer. I like it. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? But Can I be the waiter? I'll be the one waiter. <laughs> yeah, we'd have the blast. Oh my God, <laughs> hysterical. But, you know, I think about that, like you're talking Alfred Portale and you're talking Al Forno. Those are two like iconic restaurants. What a great way to like really indoctrinate yourself into the industry with like- And then I went to John George. Yeah, so you're talking like regimented, regimented, regimented. And that builds, that's like, your building blocks are just getting thicker and thicker and thicker and stronger where I think that's the biggest part of what develops you for the long haul. It shows you it all, right? Like, yeah, it was, I was, I mean, I was very lucky. Like my experience at El Forno was very brief, but the guy that was the chef de cuisine there had also worked for my dad many years ago and was really friendly with my dad. And he gave me like some of the best advice ever. He's like, look, Wiley, don't skip steps. And I was like, yeah, all right. And he's like, look, I skip steps, okay? Don't skip the steps. I went and became, the, you know, I went up the ladder too fast and I skipped a bunch of the rungs and I, I regret it to this day. And that always resonated with me because he was a good guy. He was a good dude. He, and he was saying something about himself that he didn't have to say. He was copping to something that I didn't ask him about or, you know, and, 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 and it couldn't have been easy for him to say that, but he gave me that bit of advice and it always resonated with me. And, you know, I got out of culinary school and I was working garmage at Gotham. And it was fucking hard, man. It was super, super hard. That was like the craziest, most dangerous pirate ship in the world in the early nineties. You know what I mean? Alfred was, at the height of his powers, that place was a beast. And I, and I was just getting put through the meat grinder every day. I was loving it, but I was also terrified. And I was, you know, I was like coming from school with my little neckerchief on and my hat and it's like, I had my knife bag. And I was like, 
and, and it's like literally you're on a pirate ship and everybody's like what is that kid doing here what like he's slowing us up you know now fast forward i'm friendly with all those people and i obviously got rid of the neck you know the, the neckerchief and the toque real fast i learned that um, happens like day two <laughs> yeah exactly uh <laughs> yeah yeah um but you know I, I feel super lucky alfred you know alfred was hard on me he was really hard on me but it made me want to do better it made me want to go home and just make a different mistake tomorrow you know i know i'm going to keep making mistakes i still do but i just want to make different ones you know i don't want to make the same ones day after day after day and that that was a tough place and then going to you know then going to jg i spent two years year and a half with alfred something like that um and Is then that in I the went, height of the height i like to call it the height of the height whenever yeah. like your salads were like 12 inches tall yeah and that was like breaking my spirit because it didn't it in in some ways it wasn't like how does it taste it's like it doesn't it's not tall enough and i'm like but but and it was like no man you've got i mean i would have literally nightmares about you know you take the lola rosa and you take the this one and you got to twist them and tear the bottom so and then you got to take the seafood salad and the it was it was just terrifying and and it was hard you know his food was amazing it was you know it's no surprise that he says he would have been an, a, a jewelry designer if he hadn't been a chef because he has an amazing artistic vision his new restaurant portali is a block from where i am right now in my house and it's beautiful and wonderful and you know he's a he's a good guy and 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 you know i just school of hard knocks no complaints but i was just you know i was not I was I had no business being on the pirate ship, you know. You know I what think I mean? That's a really interesting point because at when you're at culinary school, they're telling you that you're ready for the world, that you're ready for a sous chef job. No way, man! <laughs> not in New York City. You're not ready for a New York City sous chef job in 1993. No chance. <laughs> no chance. No way, man. You got to have like a lightsaber and your feet float, you know, floating through the room before you can even be considered, you know? I mean, those times, I, and, and I agree, I mean, it's like, that was the last bastion of it. Like the pirate ship, it's truly what it is, right? Like you have all walks of life and it's, it's hard and it's pushing, pushing, but also not only are they pushing to get the food out fast, but it's like on point, super regimented. And like, you're the slowest rung on the ladder. They're kind of pushing you off the pushing you off the plank like well again you, i go back to the team sports you know you're only as good as your weakest player right like you you know nobody wants to pass the ball to bobby because he's terrible you, you, you know what i mean yeah you know i was i mean i know how all of that feels i was i was i tried out to i, I was i loved soccer i love to play soccer a lot and i i thought i would go try to play soccer in college and um, i was actually better at basketball than i was at soccer but i liked playing soccer more so I sat out my junior year of basketball, which was a huge mistake that I regret to this day, and then got back on the team my senior year. But the coach was so mad at me for sitting out that I didn't get to start. I didn't get to do all this stuff, even though I was good enough. But I played a ton of soccer. I went to college and I tried out for the soccer team. I, I was so bad. I was so bad at the soccer tryouts. They still have a drill to this name named after me because I was so bad at it. They named the drill the Wiley drill. That's how bad I was at it. So oh, I understand what it's like to be like, you know, in the kitchen and the one dragging everyone down. Like it's, it's not fun, but, but again, it was a pirate ship, but I say that with the most affection I possibly can. Cause I loved every single minute of it. You know, when I, even though there was a lot of terror and a lot of dread, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. 
you know, and then I went to the Frenchies and I loved working for the Frenchies. You know, I absolutely love that too. You know, I spent six years with JG and loved it. Loved it. That's JG is like, that's super regimented, classic French. And, and this, like, when you were there, I mean, you went, you worked your way up through the system to then go open for JG in, in Las Vegas. Correct. Correct. I mean, I was super lucky. And when I started working at JoJo's in 90, 94, he only had two restaurants. He had JoJo's and he had Vong. So you got a lot of JG. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he was at jo- JoJo's. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, he was at Vong. And I worked Monday, Wednesday, Fridays at JoJo's. So I got JG and he expedited on Monday nights. So God help you if you did not have yourself and your mise en place together. You know what I mean? Because he was expediting the line Monday nights and the kitchen was the size of my, you know, your bathroom. It was tiny, tiny kitchen. There was nowhere to hide and nowhere for your mistakes to hide. But again, that, you know, that was just such an unbelievable opportunity to learn and see stuff. And he would be very corrective. And then, you know, some crazy VIP would walk in and, and while he's supposed to be expediting, he'd come back behind the line and grab a bunch of copper pots and start cooking dinner or a course for Bocuse or something like that. And you're like, whoa, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. You know, I mean, could you please go back and expedite the, you know, we need you <laughs> to work the past, but that was awesome, you know? Um, and, and, and working for him back then was amazing because he had two restaurants, you know? And then I opened up John George with him. I was on the opening team. And then eventually, yeah, I got to work my way up the ladder there to sous chef. And then he sent me to, J- to, to Vegas, you know, which was, was super fun. And, and, and still to this day, great memories of, of being at the Bellagio and prime and, and just working for him was awesome. You know, just awesome. I mean, you, and it's just this, you just continuously, building this foundation to work upon and i think that's that's what i keep trying to articulate with so much of the younger generation is it's building that those legs to stand on for folks to be able to move forward to new directions right like if you don't have the basics and then you don't build on the basics with the next level and the next level you're just throwing darts in the wind right you're just really not truly understanding the craft of cooking and you and i have talked about that multiple times yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't open my own restaurant until I was 33, you know, when I started cooking at 20, real professionally at 21. So I, I, you know, I feel like I was, listen, I could always hear Jimmy in my head, the guy from El Forno. I was like, don't rush it, don't rush it, you know, and, and, and I always felt like I hadn't, that I had, I had, I felt good about the progression and the pace, you know what I mean? Um, because I think that's important because I, I, I think it's, it's hard to own your own restaurant. It's even harder if you're like, it's okay to be a little over your head, right? But it's, it's if you're so far over your head that you're never really going to get out, then even when you do get to out, the food's only going to be this good or it's only, you know, I don't know. I just, I think that the slow road when it comes to learning a craft, like you said, whether it be riding a bike or throwing a fastball or any, any, any skilled thing, painting, sculpting, it, it, it takes time to develop uh, a, a full set of skills. And, you know, for me, I think of myself as sort of an eternal student. I'm still constantly learning and constantly trying to learn, you know? I mean, I took a crack at donuts for a couple of years. Now I'm in the pizza game, you know? And, and I'm, I'm really, it's what I love about all of it is an opportunity for me to just keep going, keep learning, keep my, keep feeding my brain. Cause that's, uh, that's the most exciting part at this point. 
you know, I don't, you know, I think both of us, you know, we were younger, right. We wanted to be the star player. We wanted to be the guy on the line, taking the last shot, you know, with three seconds to go. And I don't need to be Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky or whatever that anymore. I'd rather be Bill Belichick. I still want to win the game. I still feel like I can help our team win, but from a different perspective, like you, like going down there this morning and rallying the troops and showing them how to do all this, that we can, you know, last night we can have three banquets and a photo shoot and all this. And it's all don't nobody freak out. You know, we're all going to be okay. Um, so I still think that I have, have ways to, to help the team win the game. I just don't have to be the guy that takes the winning shot anymore. You know, I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting time to get that education out to folks because we have seen it. And, you know, we've talked about that, this meteoric rise of folks who don't have this foundation. And, and I keep trying to tell that everybody focus on the craft, focus on the craft. And, you know, I've learned from everywhere I've been and I've, you and I, and this I think is really funny. I want to, I want to, I'll get to this in a minute, but you then left John George and went to 71 Clinton. So let's talk about that trajectory of going from being in that major, I mean, that was a huge monster, right? Let's just being in the Bellagio, having buying power, having receiving departments that literally can house what three semi trucks of product coming in all at once and hundreds of people putting things away and and then you're on you know you're on clinton street you're back in new york and it's you right so that that's a huge because you saw you've seen it all now how was that transition for you and what made you make that decision to leave vegas and come and do your own well actually i mean i don't talk about it too much because i don't I only spend a really short amount of time there and don't necessarily feel like I've earned to be part of the story, but I left Vegas to come help Jean-Louis Paladin open up his restaurant in Manhattan. And I was a sous chef, the opening, one of the opening, one of the two opening sous chefs um, on that team. And that was super exciting for me, but it was a short, it was a short run. That was a tough time for him and a tough time in that location. And, and, you know, I, he was an amazing, I mean, talk about talent, like just pure raw, crazy, crazy talent. You know, that guy, one of, one of the all-time greats, you know, as from a technician standpoint, just unbelievable to watch him do pretty much anything, you know, not only was he super talented, he was super excited about food. Um, but it was a tough time for him in his life. And, and, and I think uh, that that was a tough experience. We had such a talented group of people on that opening crew. It was just, it was just unbelievable. The team that they had assembled. I mean, you um, had Sam was there with you. Mason, Mason was there. Yeah. Um, was Francis there? No, Francis was not there. Francis was not there. Um, but there, there were a bunch of, I mean, there were a bunch of guys that were just all just really, really talented and front of house, back house, the whole thing. But I was only there for like three months and, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't right for me um, for a number of reasons. And then my dad was opening up this small place down on the Lower East Side on Clinton Street. And he said, hey, will you come down and just help us get open, help us, you know, basically do the consulting put the menu together, this and that. And I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm just not having a blast up here. Um, it wasn't, like I said, it just wasn't, it wasn't clicking. And so 
Uh, sadly, I left, um, although on great terms with Jean-Louis, he understood. In fact, he came to 71, I think, three times and I was there to support me, which was, which was really incredible. But I went down there and my dad had basically fooled me. He had no intentions of me just consulting. He, in his mind, I find out later that he, he's sort of basically saying, you know, tricking me into becoming the chef. So I went down there and set up the menu and I took one of my, my buddies who had been a line cook with me at John George and the fish cook at Paladin. And we went down there and we opened it up with one other guy that I met uh, who was working in Vegas um, at Picasso, which is the restaurant next to Prime in the Bellagio. So it was this three of us. It was a tiny kitchen, 27 seat restaurant. And, and we built our own pirate ship. Um, it was just the three of us. And we had this tiny little submarine, maybe not a pirate ship. And it was a wonderful experience because it was three guys that were all kind of classically trained in the European brigade and all that. Um, so we were down in the crazy Lower East Side Alphabet City trying to make Midtown food um, at downtown prices. And uh, it was a super fun, exciting time to be down there. And I got, you know, we got really lucky that people were really digging what we did. And it kind of blew up. And I spent a couple of years there and uh, then I stayed on the block for another 13 years, you know, with WD. It's amazing. And, and when you opened WD and, and I want, I'm curious as to how you transitioned from your classical French and WD 50 came to be, because there was, this is the conversation piece that I've been holding up on. It's like you and I used to have that conversation where I never understood. And you showed me, remember that day I came into dinner and you were like, I'm going to show you what I mean. And it was, it was such an eye-opening experience for me because I didn't, it, it didn't process. Like I'm a, I'm a grunt, right? I'll say it. I'm a fucking grunt. I'm like this old school weirdo who cooks insides of animals and classic Italian food. And it, it wasn't registering with me. And I'll never forget coming into dinner with Tatiana and oh god i can't remember who you guys had you had juice behind the bar that night yep and um you and sam just like blew me away like i never i couldn't and you just you were explaining the processes to me and then it just opened my eyes right because i didn't get it i was maybe i was too narrow-minded at that point in my life but i didn't i couldn't understand how you were able to do those things so I think maybe just because of my non-understanding of how you did it, I just closed my eyes to it. And, and I'll, never forget, <laughs> I'll never forget that moment because I was like, okay, yeah, I'm a complete moron. <laughs> and it was an awesome eye-opening experience. So I, it, it, I think it'd be really great for everybody to understand, like, what was it that made you make that trajectory and that, because that's a lot. That was a really big game change in food at that time. Well, I mean, I think for, for me, uh, again, it was, it was about under realizing that, that we all, you, myself, everybody, that ev we all knew, uh, knew how to cook. And, and some of us, knock on wood, were really good at it. You know, we could do really, make really good food. But when we began to step away and say, why are we doing it like this? You know, the answers were always, well, I mean, it's worked that way in the past. Um, that's how we always, that's how we've always done it. Or the one that's my favorite is because that's how I told you to do it. 
you know? And so, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the know, mentality right there. Yeah. I told you I'm the captain. You're Why the are we doing it this way? Because I told you to do it that way, you know? And I realize that like, if you're asking those questions at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, I told you to do it that way is, is the always the right answer. Like, just shut up. We got to get through this, buddy. We can play 20 questions at the bar tonight. But, but, but when you do step away, you realize like, wait a minute, we, it's an, it's unusual, right? Cause people don't just paint really good pictures or play really good music without understanding sort of the process. It just, they don't do that. That's not how it works. And yet we, have been cooking for hundreds of years and making amazing food, but we don't really know why we do it this way instead of that way. We just know that if you do it this way, you get this result. And so I began to realize that an aspect of, of all of our culinary education was somewhat hollow. We had, the, we had the, the how, I mean the why, but not the how, you know? I, I'm sorry, we had the how to do it, but not the why. This is how you do it. Okay, but why? And there were no, nobody knew an answer. You know what I mean? You can still to this day take most cooks and say, why do you have to, why does cream have to be cold to be whipped and milk have to be hot to be whipped? And when you look at real milk and cream in a bottle, there's a paper line that separates the two. They come from the same animal. Why, why does this part have to be cold to make foam and this part have to be hot to make foam? Nobody knows. I mean, I know the answer, but some many, 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 many people who make great whipped cream and great lattes don't know why. And so we realized that we didn't have the answers. So I wanted to create a place where we as cooks could continue asking these questions, where we could continue our culinary education, where we could continue to grow. And I also wanted to be a place where if you, the diner, wanted to participate in that question asking process, then we would we would take you on that journey as well. But be clear if you just wanted to have a dinner because it's dinner time then we would serve you but if you wanted to to be walked down this path we would do it with you and so we set about creating a place where where everybody could continue to learn and in that learning we discovered a whole new world of toys and techniques and equipment and understanding that we could then apply creatively but the information that we were getting that we were we were downloading from other places wasn't specific to the type of food we were making because it was as equally useful to the bistro chef that wants to make crispy roast chicken and smooth mashed potatoes and bright green haricovert and a Bernays sauce that won't separate. But it's but cooking is science. And if you don't have any knowledge of the science, the chemistry, the biology and the physics of cooking, then you're only going to be lucky for so long. And eventually something's going to go wrong and you're not going to know why. And so I wanted to start to create this up, this place where we could all know why. We'll never know it all. Never, 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 you know? But like I said, we did that for a while and then we took our creativity and applied it to that. And that's where people think, oh, what we were doing, this molecular gastronomy was about foams and gels and this and that. No, it was about understanding what happens to an egg when it goes in water. What happens to a piece of fish when it goes in the pan? Why are green beans green sometimes and army green other times? And it was it's about gathering information and what you choose to do with that information is up to you it's totally up to you we were doing some wacky stuff that people thought making noodles out of shrimp and deep frying hollandaise but if we didn't understand what was at play in those those things then we couldn't have thought that way and 
like I said, that's just a natural extrapolation of eventually WD came and went and Alder came and went. And I, I, I took that same approach with donuts. And now we're taking that approach with pizza. We're trying to, you know, at 12, 1230 today, I'm talking to a pizza scientist. You know what I mean? Because I just want to nice. learn what I can about whatever it is I'm doing, because I find it's so much more exciting and interesting. There's not a right or a wrong way to cook an egg, but there's a more or less informed way to cook that egg. And if I understand what two clicks to the left do to that egg versus two clicks to the right, then I can decide if I want to go seven clicks this way or one click that way, and I can begin to control the result. You can begin to control the result. Anybody can be to control the result. And that's when it's exciting when you can shape the outcome of the dish and not just be lucky. So how much was On Food and Cooking by Harold McGee influential in that process? How much did that help understand the science of food? It helped a lot. It helped a lot. It's funny because when that book first came out, you know, well, I mean, when I first got exposed to it, right as I began to become a cook, and I have a massive cookbook collection, I have 2,500 cookbooks. I love books, reading, and I, I spent all my money in the 90s and the aughts. Every extra penny I had was on cookbooks because that's all I wanted to do was devour them. And I came across that book then, and I was like, I don't want to be in the academic thing. I just graduated college. I've spent the last 14 years and, you know, learning how to learn, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to look at it. I want to read about, you know, French cuisine and this and that. And so it, it wasn't until I actually, you know, five, six years later, got, got back to it. I was like, I should look at that. And then I was like, you know, mind blown. Wait a minute. I can cook, you know, steak to this temperature and it's technically cooked, but it looks like it's raw, but it, the tissue, the structure is going to, it's not going to eat, be chewy. It's going to be tender and, and on and on and on and on and on and on. So it was, it was amazing. And I feel very fortunate that I was able to not only read that book, 75 times, but reach out to him and, 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 you know, be able to talk to him repeatedly and ask him questions and have him help me. And I mean, that's what happened was we realized that the answers to all these questions did not live in the kitchen. They lived outside the kitchen. So we had to go and talk to the food scientists, the, the people working at, you know, Mars or General Mills or National Starch. We had to go talk to all the people that were outside of the kitchens that we had been growing up in because a lot of this information has been known for decades. It's just not been in our world. It's out there. You have to go figure out how to get it. You know, there was also, we were just starting with the internet back then too, by the way. So it wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't quite as easy to, 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 to grab information out of, out of the air and bring it to you. You know, there was a lot of phone calling of people, but that's what happened was, you know, as, as, as we realized we had to go outside of the kitchen, we met all these new people and these people introduced us all to not only a lot of new information, but a lot of new equipment. That's where things like sous vide come from. You know, like if it weren't for cooks asking a bunch of questions and let's be clear, I was not the only one. We were not the only one. There were this, this movement, this interest in, in learning more was happening around the world with, you know, Heston Blumenthal in England and Andoni at Mugaritz and, you know, to some extent, Ferran and, and lots of people were asked, got to the point where like, I want to know more. And, and I just was, was, was part of, I was excited to become part of this movement of people that were, that were curious. Um, and I, and I think that we've, we've been, I feel, proud to say we've helped bring a lot of knowledge into the into every every kitchen you know everybody is learning from the from these questions that we begun to ask and more people are picking up the 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 
the responsibility and asking new questions and thinking of things that we didn't think of. And, 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 you know, we as cooks now know more than we ever did, you know, and, and that's the most exciting part is that the cooks now have so much information at their disposal, should they be curious enough to, to want to have it. It's, it's funny because I remember doing uh, the next iron chef and we're up at CIA and they're trying to keep, you know, all the challenges secret. And I look out the window and I see you walking in and I, I just went, oh shit. Like my head <laughs> sank, I sank, my, my stomach just turned, I just went, I am so screwed right now. I have that effect on a lot of people. I, but it was because I knew what was coming, right? Like as soon as I saw you outside, everybody's like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, Wiley's here. And of course everybody else is like, yeah, this is great. I got that. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm like totally like, because I I did not have the grasp of the numbers and the percentages. And like, you sat, we were sitting there, we went, you know, you gave us the introduction, you talked to us about everything right before the start. And then I'm processing this dish and I'm trying to get it. And you're like, Chris, just take a deep breath. And it's just, just this percentage you got. Amazingly enough, it figure, I figured it out. It took you like saying, okay, stop, breathe. 2% of this weight, no fat. And I was like, okay, I get this. Amazingly enough, I won. I don't know yeah, how. Yeah, you won. That, you did I great. I don't know how that fucking happened. But you did great, man. Come on. But it was fun to like, holy shit. I just had to stop and do the math, which to be really frank, I'm awful at. And I started to think it through and be like, oh, okay. So it was razor clams and the, uh, razor clams agridolce. But then I made a foam inside the razor clam like spray foam yeah. and it ended up being like for me this that pivotal like okay this is really fun we just made something whimsical and fun that's delicious and you were so great at that teaching moment if you had not walked me through that like I would have spun I would have made like probably glue no, it was great. I mean, it, I, it was, it's fun for me to do that stuff too. I mean, part of it is unfortunate because I get pigeonholed a lot as the, like the whiz bangery, like guy that just makes the weird stuff. And really what I want to sort of like, like, let's, let's put all that stuff aside and let's, let's talk about the information, you know, and that's yeah. the part that that's fun to me, you know, it's like, what did we learn? Yeah, we can make this stuff, but, but really it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the data, it's the information that's really the important part because you can take some of that stuff. And like I said, you can totally apply it to whatever you're doing. You don't have to make this weird, fanciful, whatever, you know, it, that's, not, that's not always the point. Like I said, I'm using this approach right now with pizza dough. I'm just trying to understand the variables of pizza dough so that I can make better pizza dough. That's all, you know what I mean? Well, that's it. That was the thing. That's what you showed me that day because that's what I never understood. You you're showing people that the science of these things can help food be stronger on the plate or you know the dough can work better or the top i mean there's so many different things about the science that benefit the food in the long haul that we've like you said neglected to pay attention to for years because somebody told us cuz i said so yeah, I mean, I, I find a, a lack of intellectual curiosity disappointing. You know what I mean? When people are not, like, it, it, you're not, it, like to me, it, it's so much more fun when I've, when I've learned something in the process. You know what I mean? Yes, I need to get paid for, for doing this. And yes, yes, I, I, I have other things I have to accomplish. But when I can go home and say, I, today I, didn't, I learned something I didn't know. 
that's cool. Like that's cool. And, and it's, and it's in a subject matter that means a lot to me, right? Like it's cool. Like I, just understanding what's going on when that piece of fish sticks to the pan, right? We've all had that piece of fish stick to the pan, but why does it stick to the pan? You know, and I, and knowing what to avoid just means I can cook a better piece of fish and we can stop right there. We don't have to make anything wacky with it. You know what I mean? But just I want more torn skin on the fish. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is like such a, it, like it feels good to be able to do that. You know, yeah. it feels good when, when your vegetables are bright green, you know, or whatever, whatever you're doing, it's just, it's so much more rewarding when on top of like achieving what you set out to do, you learned not only how to do it, but why to do it that way. It's just, it feels so much more, I don't know. You just feel so much more engaged in the process. It makes it so much more fun to me when, when, when you can understand like wh why it's not working. You know, the, the, the one of the mo most frustrating things for me, just owning a donut shop, the simple, simple thing, making donuts is that I would, I would know when the guys were not glazing a donut properly, but because I wasn't the one glazing every day, I couldn't just say, do it like this. And it just felt so, I felt so bad where I'd be like, all right, Elizabeth, come over here and show this person how to do it. Cause never in my life would I do that. Never in your life would you do that. You'd show them how to do it because you would never ask somebody how to do something that you weren't yourself expert at. Right. And here I was saying, stop doing it like that but I can't show you how to do it right. And it always felt terrible to me. It always felt terrible, you know? And I love being able to, 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 to be good enough to at least show someone how to do it and tell them why to do it this way to achieve the result we're trying to achieve. So when you, you your book, WD-50, I mean, that was a, that's a tome, right? Like that's a, that was a big, big monster that, you know, you did with Anthony. Uh, Tony published that with you yeah, know, yeah. um how how was that process for you and, and and was that something you were really excited for was it like the the like you really wanted to put all that down to share that with the world was it daunting um you know there came a point where i realized it was going to go away you know I, for a long time i was like I love cookbooks. Like I said, I'm a voracious reader of them and, and, and have a, made a concerted effort to acquire them. You know, still to this day, I got this thousand page book in the mail yesterday. I mean, it's a oh. thousand pages. It's a thousand pages. That looks awesome. It, well, it was on sale for 45% off on Amazon. So I was like, yes, please. You know, and, um, but I, I realized I, like, I never thought that I had enough to share. I, like I, I didn't want to do a book until I felt like I had enough to say. So I, I resisted for a long time. People are like, you should write a book. You should write a book. I was like, we, we don't, we're not there yet. You know, we don't have enough to contribute. I want to, I want to, my goal has always been to, you know, to, to, to be additive to the dialogue, to the conversation. I just didn't feel like we were there, but then I started to realize, well, wait a minute, we're WD 50 is going to close. It's going to close. And there's no real, thing that's documenting the people and the place there isn't and it, it it meant a lot to me and to the people that worked there and the people that ate there and you know i met my wife there i fell in love with my wife and you know there through food and and i realized that i wanted to have a way to at least you know memorialize the the, the place and 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 tell some of the stories uh, of, of, of that place. And so, so that's what we did. And, and unfortunately, I think 
it was like we were doing that as we were winding the restaurant down. Like I should have started it maybe a year earlier when it wouldn't have been quite so compressed and frenetic. But, uh, you know, I'm still, I, I mean, you know, you've done cookbooks. You you do them and you're proud of them. And then you're like, oh, I wish I would have done this and this and this. And I would wish I could have changed that and that and that. And I, why didn't I put that dish in instead of that one? And But I, I feel like it captures a time and a place. And I'm really proud of the stories that were told. And I'm really proud of the, photo the photographs that are in there. Um, and so, you know, it, it was, it was hard, like making cookbooks are, but it, I'm glad that it's, I'm glad that it's there. It, I, I love it. It's, I mean, just like you, I, I went in that realm of dig, dig, dig. And I have so many books in the house that we've run out of officially run out of shelves considering yeah. that we made a room to put them on and now they're all in one room and now they're in starting to get on piles on the floor again and like, on the floor oh, of course like oh my god this is awful and not fair this pile <laughs> taller than my daughter if this pile gets taller than my daughter i'm gonna get in trouble exactly i mean i'm in like piles everywhere and it's like you're constantly you're constantly trying to look at new things and keep growing and that's one that's like right there and it's like the, the the stories that were told the feeling that it, it it brought me back into the restaurant that first time that i had dinner well that's good i'm, I'm glad like i said I, I i you know again it was the first one and you know i had different ideas over the years about how it might play out and that's the version that came out and and and, I, and i'm 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 pleased with it yeah it's awesome so do's donuts like why did you choose donuts what was it about a donut that I mean, they're delicious, don't get me wrong. And, you know, I grew up on Dunkin' Donuts and then Mr. Donuts and all that New England hooey where you can give directions through New England not just on Dunkin' Donuts, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that's, that's what it was. My great-grandfather, one of them was a donut maker. And my other great-grandfather owned a diner and that diner served the donuts. Um, and so... Uh, you know, my great grandfather worked in, in Central Falls at a bakery there, and I ate a ton of donuts and a ton of white bread, you know, French, good French Canadians. Uh, my great grandmother would give me a stack of white bread toast with a big pat of butter on each, each one. And if I didn't eat the whole stack, she would cry. So I would always like, I didn't want my grandmother to get up, my great grandmother to get upset. So I, here I am this little chubby kid, like wolfing down bread just to make sure she didn't get upset, you know, because she's depression era stuff. And when you don't finish your food, there's a lot, there was heavy stuff that I didn't realize till much later, but I just knew that she would get sad if I didn't eat. So I would, I would eat, but my great grandfather, um, what worked at a bakery and he made donuts. And so we ate a lot of donuts as a kid. I mean, New England is, is cake donut country, you know? Um, and, you know, that's how it started. It's a, it, now it's both. There's because of obviously, you know, Duncan started in Massachusetts and it's very, you know, it's got a heavy footprint in New England. Um, Allie's and, my favorite though. Allie's is my favorite donuts in, back home. I don't, I don't have like deep memories of specific donut places from my childhood. I just remember eating them a lot and then being something that we were into. And so for me, it, when, when, you know, W50 closed and Alder kind of winded down, it was like, well, what do I want to do now? And something I had wanted to do for years was to open a donut shop because I feel like, again, a donut was a place where our approach to understanding what goes into a donut, what is, how do you make this thing? What are the levers we can pull and push 
to make a better donut, A, and then B, what can you put on top? Like that's also another place where we can have some fun. And so, you know, we tried really hard to make, you know, I got to this point where I thought we could make like almost like we can do for donuts what, you know, Hermé did for the, for the macaroon or something like that. We can take a humble thing and bring it and elevate it. And, and I, I still think that there's a place for that even, but the problem is that everybody thinks of donuts as being a dollar, not 350. And when you start making real donuts with real ingredients and real toppings and real glazes and the price goes up and everybody, everybody, everybody's donut memory is of a dollar donut because 95% of the donuts in this country are made from a premix. You buy a 50 pound bag of donut mix, you add this much water to it, you mix it for this amount of time and you either get yeast dough that you then punch out and fry or you get cake dough, donut batter and you deposit it into the oil. And that's how everybody that's in the donut business except for like literally 5%. Everybody else is buying a mix and, and, and all the most successful donut makers are doing that no people making donuts from scratch it's a tough road my friend it's a very tough road but it's a it's weird because you don't go to a bakery and think that all the cake you know you don't think that magnolia or tosi are making every are buying premixes of course not they're making them from scratch you don't go to pizzerias they're making and and, and think that they're just getting like a dough mix brought to, i mean maybe they are maybe I, my my sense is that everyone's making it's it's this weird random niche that donuts if you want to be successful, you want to be able to charge a dollar for a donut, you have to be able to make it for a dime, right? And to make a donut for a dime, you have to buy a premix because it's just, that's the way it goes. But it was so fun, man. I loved making donuts. They were, I mean, I got really fat, unfortunately. I, 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 I've read it since, since the pandemic. I've managed to lose almost 20 pounds, which is, which is pretty good. But um I was eating donuts every day because I was constantly trying to mess with them and tweak them. And so it was like, the nice thing about a donut is you can, in half an hour, I can from zero to donut, 30 minutes, I can make it. So, oh, we don't like this one. 30 minutes later, we got another donut. 30 minutes later, wait a minute, I just ate six donuts today. Holy shit. <laughs> there were days, there were days when I would eat six donuts. Oh, like, that's nuts. That's nuts. You should not eat six donuts a day once, let alone five, six, 10 times. You should not do that. I was oh eating gosh, donuts. <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why I have to run up and down 11 flights of stairs every day now, you know? Oh my God. I can't imagine, like, I think about it. And right now, last night I left the, I left the hotel. I left the property for the first time in five days because I had to go eat something else. I can't eat any more pizza. I can't eat any more pizza. I'm like, oh no, it's, I love pizza, but like you, you get, it gets to a point and you're just like, I need to diversify a little bit here. I need some vegetables. I need to, you can't do well, it. I mean, at least there is that on pizza. There's vegetables and stuff. And for me, it's only three days a week. So <laughs> it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that I go crazy on pizza, but you know, I'm cooking dinner for 15 people tomorrow. And what do they ask for? Pizza. So. <laughs> so, so now pizza you know like and i think yeah. and, I, and i love this that you're having so much fun with it excuse me my either um you're having fun and you know i ate at deuce donuts delicious mm -hmm. right and the flavor profile the texture it was so delicious and i think that's the thing it's like every time i get to see you it's always a fun conversation 
sitting down, having some coffee or having a drink and just talking about food in a way that you elicit a thought process that's that I need to, I would wish I could self kick myself in the ass to get that thought process going. But when we sit down, you, you like, I take notes. I like after our conversations, always I would sit there and write stuff down and be like, man, look at that. Look at that. That was really poignant. That's something I didn't think. And I think that's what I love because food is forever teaching each other. Our industry is constantly helping each other grow. And that's what I love about it. Food brings us all together where we're always educating each other in really great ways. And, you know, having the donuts, I was like, man, I never thought about that. Or how did Wiley do that? Like, and it was such a fun conversation that day because I was actually staying in the hotel by chance. I think I, I can't even remember what I was there for. Um, oh, it was a Star Chefs conference. And, you know, yeah. I got in the yeah. morning and it became a thing where I was coming down in the morning and again, having multiple different donuts. You were like, you should try this one. You should try this one. <laughs> but they were all great. And those conversations for me are like, I have notebooks where I can go back and be like, okay, here I am in a conversation with Wiley these are the things that I need to pay attention to or like a book that you recommended or something. And I think those are those, those moments for always for me, like really, really special. And I think that's why I'm super excited when you, when I saw you were doing pizza, I was like, Oh man, this is going to be a fun conversation next. <laughs> like what's coming now. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great. It's pizza saved me, you know, pizza saved me during the pandemic. I, I literally, I, I was, you know, we have a house in Connecticut. We sort of like everybody when it, when it was time to sort of bug out, we bugged out up to Connecticut with my, my wife and our two daughters. And then we, we uh, also her sister, my wife's sister and her family came with us and we were eight, you know, we were an eight top and dues was closed. So what am I going to do? You know, I'm during the day I'm help I'm homeschooling my kids. And at night I might as well feed everybody. Right. I mean, if, if there's eight of us, someone's got to cook. It seems like that one's in my lap. Right. Yeah. So, so I, you know, was, we'd been up in our house for literally a couple of weeks. when I was down in the basement looking around and I had the, the previous year, I had done some work for, um, for Breville at Star Chefs. I was at the Breville booth frying donuts at Star Chefs. And in lieu of payment, I took an espresso machine, which I immediately brought home and started using. Uh, and I took their Breville pizza maker and I had never used it. I was down in the basement of my house and I was looking around. And I was like, huh, that pizza. And, and I'm like, it's still in the box. I'd never opened the box. However many months it had been, right? The previous fall, right? Because yeah. Star Chefs is in October. So it'd been in my basement for a year. So I'm like, wait a minute. Pizza is a perfect way to feed eight people. But I don't know how to make pizza. Like looking back, like, had I ever made pizza? Like, yeah, but it was more like going up to WD-50, the pastry department and being like, look, we, you know, we're going to have pizza for staff meal. Can you guys bang out a bunch of dough? And then going over to Garmage telling them to make the sauce. And maybe I made a Caesar salad or like I had been uh, involved in assembling and like, but never, I, I, I couldn't honestly say that I remembered making pizza dough. So I, I, I literally was like, what do I do? And I just, you know, I went to King Arthur website and Googled pizza dough and there's like, you know, seven different pizza dough recipes. And I tried one and it was fine. But then I realized, well, wait a minute. I don't know anything about why am I doing it this way? I don't understand any. So again, I needed to go down that rabbit hole as I, as I have to do for myself to understand it. And as I began to 
I just, you know, I fell down a wonderful rabbit hole where I was like, wait, I don't understand anything about pizza, but the more I did it and I must've, I, I literally made like, I did the math and I made somewhere around 500 pizzas last year for the family while we were stuck at home. And so we started having pizza once a week and then we started having pizza twice a week. And then everyone was like, can we go back to once a week? <laughs> and yeah. And I just, I just, it saved me. Like it saved my sanity because I didn't have anything to work on, but I got to keep learning. And so I just became really curious about pizza. And then this sort of fell in my lap, this opportunity to do it, the pop-up, um, you know, I was talking to the owner, Gotti, and he is a neighbor and we've known each other for years and have been talking about collaborating. And we tried, originally we tried to do a donut collaboration that didn't work. And then we we're going to do the, an eggs thing and that didn't quite click. And then the pandemic hit and then we came back and we talked about, well, can we, can we figure something out? So I said, Hey, let me, let's do pizza. And he's like, you don't know how to make pizza, do you? So I made a pizza at home and I brought it to him. And he's like, that's not bad. And I waited two days and I made him another pizza and brought it to him. Cause it's, it's a 30 second walk from my apartment to the bakery. And after the second pizza, he's like, all right, let's do pizza. So then I spent like a month working with his head baker in the bread department uh, they took my pizza dough recipe and we talked about it and why we were doing it this way. And, um, he had a couple of ideas about how we might maybe turn it this way or turn it that way. And we worked together for about a month and we came up with a formula that we're pretty happy with. And, and, you know, stretch was born and it's been super fun because I'm back in the kitchen. I haven't been making savory food for like four years, you know, on the regular. I mean, it's only three days a week, but I still, you know, I still have to, I still get to hold a knife and I still get to, I get to cook, which is just super fun. I mean, you know, I don't need to convince you that cooking is fun. You know that, yeah. you know, so it's been great. It's been, it's been awesome. I think I keep trying to explain this to some folks. And I think um, I had a young gentleman tell me that he was bored at his job. And I said, well, where do you work right now? And he said, well, I work at a pizza place. I said, okay, how long have you been there? And he said, I've been there six months. I just feel like it's just, I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. I said, okay. I said, what is your hydration level on your dough? I don't know. What's your weight on your dough ball before, you know, before you start shaping? I don't know. What, what's your, what's your inch size on your dough? <laughs> like, is it a 14, 12? I don't know. I was like, okay, you're bored. You think you're bored. You're not bored. If you're going to make something, be it, be, make the best of it, put all your heart and soul into it, then you won't be bored. And then your, your brain's going to expand. I was like, whether it's a hamburger, whether it's pizza, whether it's donuts. And this is a perfect example of what I was talking about. So it's so like, like I was shocked to hear that. Like, you have no idea. Is it a is, are you doing, you know, a double, you know, what, what's going on? What are you using for flat? How long are you fermenting it for? Mm -hmm. What do you, you know, all, there's so many, I mean, again, it goes back to, it, it, it breaks my heart when people lack that intellectual curiosity. Like you can't, oh, you can't force it on people, but you can certainly try to create an environment where people realize that knowledge is cool. You, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Whoever you knows the person, most. Remember, knowledge is power when we were kids. It was like schoolhouse rock, right? Right, but now it's like knowledge is cool you know like whoever knows the most wins for you know sure. and that's what you like I, that's what i try to get you know i've been trying for years to get people to understand that it's you know it's not a fad 
knowledge is learning is not a fad. No one's going to come in and be like, all right, guys, enough of this, enough of the learning, <laughs> enough of the learning. Let's get back to the other stuff. We're done with the learning. You had your fun. No one's going to do that. It's not a thing, you know? So you just, you gotta like, let's embrace it. You know, let's embrace it. And there's so much like national lampoons moment right there. Yeah, I can just see, sorry, everybody. Learning's over. We're all done. <laughs> <laughs> Beer's all around. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> I do feel like there is that problem going on right now in the world. <laughs> okay, we're done with the learning part. No more science. Science doesn't real. You have to take it in school, but once you're done, never use it again. <laughs> never believe it. <laughs> All right, so I play a game where I, uh, at the end of every every podcast, we have very simple game. There's no wrong answers. So, you ready to go? Boxers. Okay. Red or white wine? White. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Drip or barista stuff? Espresso. Nice. Black or with sugar? Milk. Cold milk, no ice. Nice, nice. Hot coffee, cold milk. Noodles, pasta. Pasta is a noodle. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Smart ass. I knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> I'll take pasta. <laughs> Dumplings, ravioli. Ooh. Dumplings. Burrito, taco. Taco. Hamburger, hot dog. Hamburg, cheeseburger. Ketchup, mustard. Ketchup. I'm surprised. I thought you were going to say mustard. It's that's been such an, there's such an interesting dynamic of who's been saying what with that, right? Yeah, I know. That's very polarizing. Both my parents want to disown me for that answer. I'm a mustard guy. That's just yeah, that's what I said. Both my parents they, they hang their head in shame when this question when that question got asked. <laughs> okay, sashimi or nigiri? Ooh. Nigir sushi rice. Yeah. Um, sea urchin caviar. Caviar. Lobster or crab. Crab. Chocolate or fruit. Uh, chocolate or fruit. Ooh, that's an interesting. I like chocolate on my fruit. Um, fruit. Which which is your favorite fruit? My favorite fruit. Do you have one that you, or is it just the seasonal thing? Cause I'm, it's so hard. I can't pick just one. It's like so hard. I mean, I really like apples. I really, really like apples a lot. Do you have a particular varietal that you love more than others? No, I, it's fun. That's a super fun thing to, to wander into because it's very open, you know, yeah. it's very open and we're lucky where we are. I mean, you know, you guys beat us on so much on the West coast, but we crush you with apples, you know? Yeah, you do. I mean, grow, yeah, I agree. I, the one I've been really enjoying is Ashmead's kernel. Have you had that that's one? That's a good, that's a good apple. That's like one of my favorites. Um, 
super delicious, super fun. Yeah, I mean, I I found one at, at the green market just the other day real quick, I'm sorry, yeah. um, that I'd never heard of before. And so I texted my buddy, Dave Arnold, who is like an Apple expert, Blushing Golden. Oh, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, me neither. Delicious. Blushing Golden. Firm, firm, crisp, or? Yeah, like, you know, in the yellow apple, in the yellow apple side of things, you know, good for pie, I bet. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Brown spirit, white spirits. You know, that's funny. I used to be, like, gin was the spirit I fell, I fell for first, the most. I love gin. I absolutely love it. But I've been drinking a lot of brown um, last couple of years. My my wife is is would choose the brown. So in my in my heart, it's 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 clear. But uh, I love I mean I love a Manhattan, but I like a martini. Um, and last one, favorite guilty pleasure. What guilty pleasure? Your favorite guilty pleasure? My favorite guilty pleasure. I mean. It's, it's gotta be American cheese, you know? That's funny. I would have never expected that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably not, uh, it's probably accurate to say that it's w- w- the one thing I, I eat every day. Oh, wow. I bet I have at anywhere from one to 10 slices of American cheese every day. There are days when I bet I don't even no, that I'm, I don't even think about wandering into the fridge and grabbing just a slice, put it in my mouth and wander off. <laughs> and I've just like, I'm just great. You know, like you can appreciate this, right? Chefs are, we're like eternal grazers. We don't often sit down for meals, but we graze. We're the best grazers in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you just wander around and you're like, ooh, that, oh, that's good. I know that that little bit of mise en place will be delicious with that little bit of mise en place from the other side of the restaurant. And and side, hates us. <laughs> you know, and we're just like the world's best grazers. And yeah. and so I graze on American cheese all the time. It's delicious with sake, turns out. Sake and American cheese. Really? And, yeah, I realize that sake and cheese are an amazing, I mean, I don't know if it's because they're both fermented or, I mean, mm. I know American cheese is not fermented, but, um, you know, there's something about that process that makes them very simpatico. I've discovered recently, I love sake. Sake is one of my, that wasn't an option in any of the questions to, to give, but sake is one of my favorites too. Really? So yeah, I love sake, love <laughs> sake. Um, but yeah, American cheese. Yeah. Cooper out of, I think they're out of Pennsylvania. They make a sharp American cheese that is unbelievably delicious. I'd never had until recently sharp American cheese. It's apparently, you know, it's you. It's funny, right? You, you as a chef, you get excited when you discover a new ingredient, and then there's a whole group of the population that has also known about has a known about it forever. So now they're pissed that you discovered it, and then you know, and 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 because they think they'll never be able to get it again. Yeah. You know? So I posted a picture recently of a block of Coopers because it's. I was like, this is so good, and people are like, what took you so long? What rock have you been living under? You know, and other people are like, oh, geez, now I'll never be able to find it in my local market and, and this and that. And it, it's just funny when when people either get really excited, like, oh, my God, that's the, the official cheesesteak cheese for, in Philly. I'm so excited you found it. And other people are like, oh, you just ruined it, man. I've, it's been my favorite cheese since I was two. It's funny. Which is funny because, I mean, you want people to succeed. You want them to be busy. You want these businesses yeah. to flourish. 
we have it's like we're excited about it we want other people to be excited about it to try a different flavor profile so yeah all the time that's that's a constant like yeah, one guy one guy posted what rock have you been living under i was like how do you make shrimp noodles buddy <laughs> isn't that amazing how that freedom of folks to like have criticism of everything with no repercussion like they'll just because they can hide behind anonymity right it's like non-stop like you know tough guy 64 <laughs> <laughs> What rock are you living under? I don't know, tough guy 64. What's your real name? Like, it's, yeah, and he doesn't exactly. talk to anybody. Like he doesn't ever post anything. He's just that dude trolling the world. I mean, there's a lot of that, right? Um, but yeah. it, it's funny how that, that's become overly used as a way. It's just, oh, we never had that, thank goodness. But now we have to deal with our kids growing up in it. Anyway. Progression. Is exactly. that who knows? Well, so Wiley, if people want to come to your pop-up, you want to give a little uh, bit on that so folks can come and check it out and, and the days and, and location and everything? Yeah, please do. Love to have any and all. We're, um, we're at Bed Bread's Bakery in Union Square, 16th Street between Union Square West and Fifth Avenue. But you can find us on Resi, resi.com, you know, the plat reservation platform. We're out there. You just go and um, it's an unusual scenario. It's not like your typical slice joint where you walk up to the counter, and order a slice. You go online, you order a pie, one pie, two pies, 10 pies, as many pies as you want. And you, and you select a pickup time. I'll take, uh, we're there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every week, um, barring sort of major holidays and things like that. But you would go in and say, okay, next Wednesday at seven o'clock, I'll take these three pies and you place your order online. Boom. And then when you show up, um, you say, hi, I'm Chris. I'm here for my order. Uh, you know, and they, they say, great. Your pie will be ready in 15 minutes. The second we second you walk in and we know you're there, we start making your pizzas. And so it takes anywhere from, you know, eight to 15 minutes to get your pie based on how busy we are at that given time slot. But you, just, you know, it's 15 minute wait is not too bad for a fresh pie. No, two or three. And, and, and you're getting a fresh pie. You're getting super fresh pie right out of the oven to you. And you can either eat it there. We've got Plenty of seats. We've got seats for about 35 people outside, 30 people outside, uh, or you can take it to go and take it home, you know, and we're conveniently located in Union Square area in Manhattan. So folks, I will have links to that. I'll have links to that resi and everything there uh, on the website when, uh, when this podcast is over, it'll be right at the tail end of it. So Wiley, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. It's great to see you. We need to hang out and sit and have pizza. I would love that. That would make my day. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. A real pleasure. Appreciate love it. it. All right. Cheers, everybody. Take care. Bye.